Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life, and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com and let us know what He's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Well, we finish up our series this week on changing the future. You can change your future. And the whole point of this series has been learning to think generationally. We said our God is a God who thinks, plans, and acts generationally. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's thinking way out in the future, and most Christians don't think past lunch. So he's a big strategy planner, which means life and the kingdom is not just about you. It's about others who are coming after you. And we talked about serving our generation. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. Now, David had big issues. He had a big kingdom. He had a lot of uh, drama. He had to serve his own family. He had a lot of things going on. But one thing God says about him, he served his generation. I want us to be a church that learns to think generationally, and we do something within our means to serve our generation, not just those of us who have been in the church a long time but serving the generation, and that includes people outside the church as well. So we're called to serve our generation. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11 says, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But time and opportunity happens to all. So we said this is our time, this is our opportunity. I absolutely believe, as Mordecai said to Esther, sweetheart, who knows, but you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Each of us has been birthed in this generation for such a time as this. If God could have picked anybody, he chose you. He could have brought back anybody from the past history in church history, but he didn't. They were great for their time. They'd be out of place in our time. That means you and I are all God has to work with, and He knows what He's doing, and He chose the right people to live in this messed up, dramatically crazy world we live in right now. We're it. We're the best bet God's got. So I want it to be a good one, and I want us to believe that, well, I don't know why I was born. Oh, shut up. I know why you were born. God wanted you here, and God chose you to be here, and He said before you even got fertilized in the egg. I knew you, called you by name, ordained you to be. Shape up. Get your head up. Smile. Let's engage with the purpose God made for you before you ever even came out of the womb. He had a plan for your life. Now, you can ignore God. You can blow it off if you want to. You can reject Him, but He still built you, crafted you, made you, and brought you for such a time as this. That gives me hope and inspiration. That's good. So this is our time. This is our opportunity. And we need a commitment to serve our generation. I remember when the biggest thing of my grandfather and people talked about was paying off the house mortgage. And then they'd just have coffee, sit out on the porch till they died. 
There's got to be something bigger than our personal security. There's nothing wrong with paying off the mortgage. Or others say, well, I'll be able to relax once I get the kids out of college or get the wedding paid for. Well, then what? You got to keep on living. And so God wants us to live to be able to serve our generation, not just us and personal retirement. So our dreams and our visions have to affect other people so we can make a difference in our generation. A little bit of review. If we're going to affect our generation, we got to do certain things. Let me give you a couple we talked about last week. We have to have a commitment to health, body, soul, and spirit. The enemy wants to hobble us from having any impact because of bad health. And some folks cooperate with the enemy completely. I said it's not about vanity. It's not about how you look, how hot or how buff you are. It's about our calling and purpose. Stay healthy for the calling and purpose of God on your life. Look after this temple. Don't wait for a stroke to start eating right and getting some exercise and doing the things that engage in good health. Take care of your body, but take care of your soul, your spirit. Take care of that. You're here today. You're getting a little tune-up as well. And, and the whole idea is I want to be able to I don't want to just see my grandchildren. I want to be able to throw the football to them, go to the lake, ride the jet skis. I believe I will live to see my grandchildren's children born. My dad's 98. I, come on, man. I go, I'm, I'm, I'm cooking. I'm going to see that happen. My grandchildren are growing up right in front of my eyes. Well, where's your grandfather? Oh, he's laying on the couch in there with his breathing machine drooling on himself. <laughs> Mama, have to go in and change him in a little bit. Ask my wife, since the day she dated me, I said, that will never happen to me. You can set your mind not to anything, but to a lot of things. And I tell you what, when I saw my dad when he was 58 and I was like 36, I said, that's your future, bud. If you don't make changes, he won't make. Now, my daddy, if you think I'm strong, you ain't met my daddy. I mean, we're talking a nightmare on steroids. He won't die. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I don't want to just be alive. I, I want to be active and engaged and then lay down on the bed and go to sleep just like some of the patriarchs did. Then we spoke secondly, we have to have a commitment to the words of Jesus. John 14, he said, the works that I do, you shall do and even greater works shall you do because I go to my father. When Jesus was on earth, he could only be in one place at one time. If he was at your house, he wasn't at my house, correct? But when he rose from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now indwells every believer on earth. Now Jesus can be everywhere in the world at one time. We're his hands, his feet, his compassion, his tears, his resources. We're it. So I, can, I can't do more than he did in, I mean, he raised the dead, cast out. I can't top him, but we can do quantitatively as much or more than he did. He was only active for three and a half years. So today we ought to be able to have greater works than these because he has gone to his father. And we talked about technology and the means available today to allow us to have greater impact on the earth. Let me tell you about our culture. It's changing. If you're like me, if you're over 50, the world you were born in does not exist anymore. 
So you can whine, blow in your nose, gripe, cuss, whatever you do, but it won't change it. And the culture will never get a vote from Washington to change. The, the culture never needs your permission. It just changes. It'll change with you or without you. In, my, in the last 10 years of my life, and most of you, many of you, except the millennials sitting in here, you saw pay phones disappear. You can't find one on a street, correct? They're gone. How about video stores, Blockbuster in Hollywood, Netflix killed them, gone. Like Elvis, they've left the building and they ain't coming back. Retail stores closing everywhere in shopping malls and around the country. Why? Online shopping has taken charge. That's a fact. How about Kodak, the great innovator of pictures and cameras, went bankrupt. Why? They didn't see the future of digital pictures and assumed paper pictures would stay. Cost them their business. Uber and Lyft came along, have totally disrupted the taxi industry and rent-a-cars. I mean, you can get an Uber for 11 bucks and go just about anywhere, and you don't have to wait long. You don't have to get in a stinking cab. It stinks, right? <laughs> well, you could think of so many more things that have come and gone. Tapes don't exist anymore. CDs are kind of on the way out, and now it's going to be mostly video and uh, podcasts that you can watch on your phone. Remember when they said, make your long-distance call after six because the rates go down? That's gone. <laughs> All young adults now that buy homes or move to apartments or condominiums don't take a landline anymore. They've got their cell phone. Who needs to pay for something that I wouldn't use much? I'm trying to show you how everything has changed around us. And you have to remember, the church is not a monument. It's a movement. The only thing that doesn't change is God's Word. It's truth. Nothing, everything else, the packaging change. And God doesn't care if you're in skinny jeans or a power suit, flip-flops or shorts and aloha shirt. And when you travel around the world, you'd think there's such a thing as church clothes. What a joke. Just don't show up naked. I don't care what you wear. <laughs> the ones that do show up naked shouldn't. The, have you ever noticed? No, you haven't noticed that. Jim Williams told me that. I don't know. What would I know? Number three, we said you need a commitment to the full gospel. And that's reaching out, helping the poor and the needy, looking way beyond ourselves. Hey, by the way, I need to say thank you for fully funding our back-to-school backpacks for almost elementary school. This is our third year. That school is 100% government-assisted. That's how, uh, huh? A Title I school. Okay. Whatever. It's a Title I school, okay. Got to be politically correct. Anyway, they need help. And we've underwritten, this is third year, we've underwritten the entire school. Everything they need for a year, you paid for. And thank you. And I, that's part of our reaching beyond our borders and making a difference. And then coming up Christmas, we have thousands of kids in child, uh, child Protective Services, CPS, Child Protective Services taken out of abusive homes, criminal homes for their own safety and welfare. And every year, not only do we buy Christmas gifts, we get the gift the child wants. 
That's big. Not, sometimes you can just pile up toys and kids have to take what's there. But we find out what the child wants and you guys get it all the way up to 10-speed bikes and uh, iPads and everything else they want, which makes a really great Christmas and brings a great joy to children that wouldn't have a, a Merry Christmas at all. And then all kinds of other outreaches and social involvement. That's part of the whole gospel. And then we said just because you, you can be poor and be rich. You can be poor in relationships. You can be poor in spirit. You can just be poor in your marriage. There are a lot of people. So we want to help the poor become wealthy biblically by helping them and by reaching out beyond ourselves. Then number four today, a commitment to see. A co- if we're going to serve our generation, I've got to get some vision. Matthew 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If your heart is full of offenses, it's going to be filled with unforgiveness. It's going to affect what you see. It's going to affect your perspective. And it's always amazing to me what some people see. People see things that aren't really there. What's in your heart determines what you see. So what do you see? If I talk about building the gymnasium and the children's building on the other side of here for, for our future, some, just a few, but some will say, oh, no, more money. But some will see more opportunity and more people to impact. What do you see? If a member drives up in a new car, I'll usually say, wow, nice car. Good for you. The Lord is good. But there's always a few people who will say, well, I wonder how much that cost." Well, who does she or he think she is? Well, he doesn't need that kind of a car. Oh, they need your advice to tell them what they should or shouldn't have. You full of jealousy and envy instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. Rejoice. Man, listen. Every time you get a new car, you don't know how happy I am because we have less oil slicks to clean up out there uh, driving through letting people off in the portico. I mean, we look like we made, we made that oil spill in the Gulf look pitiful when we first started. I, I said, Lord, could we have anybody that's got a car that doesn't leak? That, it was like walking through an oil slick in the parking lot. But we've seen people come up in their level of living and their income and their prosperity and quality of life. And so I rejoice. You get a new home. I'm a cheerleader for you, man. Go for it. I want you to do well. And the better you do, the better we as a church can do and the more we can do for the kingdom. If it's more blessed to give than to receive, you can't be broker than the Ten Commandments and help anybody, right? No. So we want you to do well. God says, you know, I, re- I want you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So if you have to wonder what the will of God is, take a peek at that. Get you some of that. If I'm preaching in Sydney as we did, uh, gosh, 15 years ago at the Sydney Opera House, uh, it was the first time it had ever had a religious service. Ray McCauley, Charles Neiman, and myself did services one, two, and three. First time ever in making history. Then when we went to South Africa, I got to speak to President Nelson Mandela and his entire cabinet at a major conference, and I was up at bat. Now, most people would say, great, we're getting, God's using us to make a little bit of an impact in other nations, but there's just a few who'll say, oh, Rick's not here. I could be here and unwanted, unneeded, unsolicited, which just says I suck, I guess. I don't know. 
but I want to be part. I want to have a team other people want. I want to have a church other people would like to be part of. I'd like to be part of that, wouldn't you? My goodness sakes. So rejoice in that and support the team. And when, the, when some of the young guys get up to preach, cheer them on. They need some encouragement. You can't be a pro and just start. You got to have some practice. And so help them on. We've had people sometimes, and I bet every church does. I bet every church does. Is Joel preaching today? No. Uh, well, I'm going home. Is Rick here today? No. Well, we're driving off. Oh, good for you. You're really making an impact in our generation. I wish the rapture was today only for you. I go. You know, you're no, no help to anybody or anything at all. So very few see what the real issues are and never see beyond themselves. And that comes because of what's in your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And if we're committed to having a vision bigger than our house mortgage being paid off, bigger than ourselves, and serving our generation, then we got to have that kind of a heart and vision. Uh, another aspect of vision, what do you see? Remember in Genesis, God took Abram out and said, Abraham, lift up your eyes. Look north, south, east, and west. For all the land you can see, I'll give it to you. Implication, if you can't see it, you can't have it. Listen to people talk. Well, I couldn't see myself having that. I couldn't see myself being that. I couldn't see myself uh, acquiring that, achieving that. Well, guess what? You don't have to worry. You won't. Because God gives people vision. And where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. Every undisciplined person in this room has one big problem called vision. It is vision that pushes you beyond discouragement, setback, and disappointment. It's what will carry you when feeling and emotion won't. And all of us have that. You've got to have a vision. Vision produces discipline. Rules do not. And so the athletes that train, that, that, that make sacrifices, people who want to be a celebrity, people who want to do something in the entertainment or arts, those people will literally sacrifice themselves for the possibility of achieving a goal. And I look at Christians, I think, well, you're no, God's no different. He gives us a vision of what we can be, what we can become. Did anybody, did anybody but me, when you didn't have anything, You'd drive around and say, boy, I'd like to have a yard like that. Oh, look at that, honey. Uh, one day maybe I can get a car like that. that. That's vision. Now, that's just a secular vision, but it's still important. I remember dating Cindy. I used to go out, take her out to the airport and watch planes take off. Because I was going to be a pilot. And I did become a commercial pilot. And I did a lot of things that I had a vision for. you got to see it before you get it. You know, everything that you enjoy from an iPad to a phone, everything you enjoy, somebody saw it before it became a reality. Can you see a better marriage? Can you see a better life? Can you see better health? You see it, and then you say, I want that, and I'll pay the price to get that. Same for a church. Same for business, marriage, or life. So vision is precious. See, the poorest man is not a man or a woman with no money. You can get more money. The poor man is a man that has no vision. And now you're dead. You're alive, but you already died. You've got nothing to move you forward in life.
And then five, there has to be a commitment to innovation. How innovative is your life? A paradigm is the way people think. It's the set of rules by which they see life. And if you live creatively, innovatively, something fresh, different, or new, non-creative people will always challenge you because you're a threat to their paradigm. Uber and Lyft are also being attacked by the taxi industry primarily because it's a threat to their income. It's a threat to the way they do business. When churches suddenly explode and become mega, watch preachers who envy that success attack that church or that leader because they're breaking out of the paradigm of how it has been done, doing things differently. By the way, when Scripture does not tell you how you have to do something, you can innovate. You can be creative. And I said again, the only thing I can't change is truth. I can't change that. But do you think Jesus would have rowed out in a boat to speak to 5,000 people if he'd had a PA system? You think he'd have rode a donkey if he didn't, if he'd had a corporate jet to jump in? I mean, get a life. Wake up. He used the technology he had, and it wasn't much. So we, thanks, brother. I got one over here. All right. I'll just stay on this side over here. But, but the point... The point is we use everything we can think of, from videos to music to creative ideas in order to stay. Listen, if, if, if you go to the average church, you can smell what year they died in. <laughs> 1958. Yep, I'd know it anywhere. 1970. If the copyright on the songs you're singing in a church are over 10 years old, you're already a decade behind what the culture is listening to. Already. Already. And we blame demons and we blame everything except the fact we are not going to change. And as a result, we become T-Rex and a fossil, right? So I don't want to stink. I want to, I want to keep truth, truth, but we want to continue to do what it is. Listen, your little kids, two and three years old, are using smartphones. They can operate my iPad or whatever, for goodness sakes. And then some dumb person says, oh, well, I just think that's Hollywood. And they ain't never even been to Hollywood. <laughs> never been there. Wouldn't know what to do if they went there. No, it's communicating. It's communi the eye gate, the ear gate, to get people to capture attention. It's hard in this culture to capture attention. People's attention span is eight minutes, so if you'll bow your head, I'll close. And I know that's true. Several years ago, I picked up the story on the quartz watch. How many of you are wearing a quartz watch right now? I guarantee you, if you got a watch on, I'll bet you 70% of them are quartz watches right now. Let me, come on, come on, come on, come on, wave at me. Okay. This is, not the, this is nothing embarrassing. This is, are you okay? A quartz watch. You say, you, I don't know. Okay, watch the hand if it goes tick. That's quartz. Okay? This is show and tell. This is all right. All right. The Swiss watch industry enjoyed a protected monopoly for centuries. Nobody could touch their expertise, craftsmanship, or quality. They dominated the market. They were skeptical of any new technology, in particular the quartz watch in 1960, which had been invented by their own research scientists. The quartz was a total shift from conventional watchmaking, 
and the Swiss stubbornly refused to embrace it, thinking it was unnecessary technology. To its demise, Japan saw that opportunity and took advantage of the quartz watch, and Seiko became the Swiss watch industry killer. As a result of the economic turmoil that ensued, once profitable and famous Swiss watch houses became insolvent and disappeared. By 1983, the crisis reached a critical point. The Swiss watch industry, which had 1,600 watchmakers in 1970, now had declined to just 600. That reminds me for us never to be complacent, never to rest on our laurels, never to think that we have arrived, and it shows the importance of not getting stuck in a certain formula, a way of doing things. We have to keep reinventing ourselves. Be teachable, be humble, so you can learn new things. But probably the most important lesson I learned from the Swiss is when you get beaten once, make sure you learn that lesson well and bounce back stronger. And the Swiss finally did, but Japan cleaned their plow and made significant inroads. And what's funny is it was invented by the Swiss research people themselves. And they rejected it. It says, no, we won't do it. I've watched churches split over moving the communion table, uh, like, like it's in the Bible. Show me a communion table in the Bible. I'll eat the page. Show me. It's not there. Show me choir robes. I'll eat it. It's not there. Show me even the order of the service. You won't find that. You will see pages where someone prayed, somebody gave, somebody taught, somebody prayed for someone sick, but you will not find the order they did it in. Innovate. Why are we such creatures of routine? We love the boring rut of routine, and it'll kill you. So you need to change up. And the older you get, the more difficult it is for you to change. I'm telling you, you've got to learn to be flexible, adaptable. If you have kids, they're not, you're not going to like the music they like. You're not going to like the styles they like. When you have grandchildren, they're going to be way on out. You're not, you, you, they're they're going to leave you behind if you don't stay up. And then we'll buy videos and we'll go to movies that I would never be caught dead in because my grandchildren love them and I love my grandchildren. I'll give up my rights for that generation. I won't ever give up truth, but I'll give up my rights, my taste, my personal taste for the benefit of them. Well, the music's too loud. We'll get earplugs. They're a buck at Walgreens right over here. I'll buy them. Sit further back. You go to a Spurs game, it's loud. You get up and leave. Holy cow. Wake up. See, some of you, if we got around and sniffed you, whew, you smell. That 1958, yeah, I got that one. Yeah. I'm going to put this brother right here. Okay? So if I'm forced to rely on people as a leader in business, as a leader in church, and their current paradigms mean they can't see what God's calling us to do, we will never do what God has purposed for us to do. See, when everybody thinks alike, somebody is not thinking. The only real wealth in the world is a new idea and somebody willing to act on it. Cars and homes and jewelry are symbols of wealth, but not the cause factor. The causal factor behind all prosperity is a useful new idea with practical application that has yet to be exploited. And the individual, organization, 
church, or country that can generate the greatest number of useful new ideas is the one that will flourish and prosper. Victor Hugo once said, an invasion of armies can be resisted, but not an idea whose time has come. So an important part of being a creative person is exposing yourself to a steady stream of new ideas from outside sources. Occasionally, I want to take some of the different team members to look at churches or a conference so they can see how they do worship, how they do technology. What do they know we don't know? What do they do better we don't do better? How can we upgrade and improve our ability to communicate in an engaging way so as to be attractive to hold people's in interests and have them come back. Does that make sense? Wouldn't you want to get, so you got to go places, you got to meet people, you got to hear other people share ideas. Iron sharpens iron, deep calls to deep. He that walks with wise men shall get wiser, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So who are you hanging around? You need a new idea, read a new book, get a new hairstyle, find out a new way to do something, you know, order something different from the menu. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, if you're going to challenge the religious status quo, you're going to face obstacles and difficulties, and you're going to have to be tough-skinned to get through it. It's always the religious people. You can't be a large church and have access to everybody all the time. Jesus did not have equal access even with the disciples. He had the one, the beloved. He had the three, Peter, James, and John. He had the 12. He had the 70. He had the 120. But nobody had equal access. It isn't even possible. If, if you have a church of 50 people and you get an invitation as the leader, would you come to our baby shower? Well, you put that in a church of thousands and you'll be broke. How are you going to every shower? It's like, I don't have a life. How can you go to every wedding? How can you go to every birthday party? How can you answer every call? That's why you delegate and have teamwork. Moses tried doing it all himself and nearly died. And God says, this is not good. You're going to perish. You appoint 70 men that you know, and I'll put your spirit on them, and they can bring you the big stuff. Let them handle all the other stuff. So you can't do that and grow. That, that, that just won't work. Some people need to know that. Some people say, can I have your cell number? No. Can I have your email? No. I don't want you in my life. I got too much in my life already. It's not possible. You don't realize what you're saying. You come out of an old paradigm. Well, at our church, we used to, yeah. Well, what are you doing at my church then? If that old church was so good, what are you doing here? Yeah. Okay, well, that's why I don't do counseling. Put up that picture of skates. How many of you have skated when you was a kid? Or skating out? Right, okay. The inventor of the inline skate is from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and was a member of my friend Randy Morrison's church. This is, goes back years ago. And all the traditional skate companies, the four wheels, thought the man was insane in order to put these inline skates out. They said, it's a stupid idea. Nobody will buy it. Today, you can't get skates that aren't inline skates. All kids want roller blades. 
that man also put $1 million into Randy's church. Who knows what idea you could have that could change your world and the kingdom? You have no idea. That's quite an amazing thought. He had to press on. How many of you, let's just, I'll just keep this going until we get it. How many of you have a roller bag or have ever pulled a roller bag? Come on, come on. Look at that. At least 90% of you. A roller bag. It's a bag. It has wheels on it. It's a roller bag. Okay. They have little bitty roller bags. They have big roller bags. Roller bags right there. How many of you would have, rather have a roller bag than a drag it bag? Do you know where it came from? came out of a need. Northwestern pilot from Minneapolis was a handyman, and he got tired of carrying his bag, so he went to his garage, and he put two, you can Google this, put two wheels on it and drug it. The flight attendant saw it and said, Fred, would you make, would you make us one? Can we buy one? Yeah. Pretty soon, he was making them for everybody and couldn't keep up, and he formed a company which became Travel Pro. And if you go to any luggage store, you'll see Travel Pro. That came out of an idea of a guy tired of dragging a bag and just put two dumb wheels on it. And obviously, he quit flying and moved to Florida and lives lavishly <laughs> and golfs and doesn't do much. Two wheels changed everything. You see what I'm saying? You never know. What, what's in you? What do you see? that could be of of some great benefit. Jesus would not and did not fit into any religious paradigm of his day, totally out of it. A religious community continually was offended by him. He didn't do it the way they did it, and they didn't like it. And pretty much that'll be the same with you. Number six, a commitment to the right vehicle if we're going to serve our generation a commitment to the right vehicle. As a kid, I remember a tricycle, a scooter, a bike, a motorbike, a motorcycle, and a car. I've owned sports cars, utility vehicles, even an airplane once. I've even flown the British Concorde at twice the speed of sound. To be effective in serving our generation, don't get attached to the wrong vehicle. It will hinder you from being effective. Imagine me trying to keep my schedule on a tricycle. So you can have a call on your life and rely on the wrong vehicles to get you there. Don't attach to groups or movements or churches or people that can't get you where you want to go. If you want to be a big fish in a big pond, in a small pond, you'll never be effective. I want to be part of something larger that can impact nations, that can carry the truth so much further. So get connected to the right associations that will take you where you're called to go. Are you hooked up to the right? Girls, if you're dating a guy and he can't take you where you want to go just because he's hot isn't going to do 20 years from now. After the lust wears off and it becomes rust, you're going to wish you had married somebody else. (laughs) Lust, rust, and dust. Three stages of marriage. And I'm simply saying you need to, how much does he make? How much is he having to spend? How much is he paying for divorce and alimony? Is it going to keep you in bondage to work? Well, you better find out these answers after the flesh wears off. Important questions. Where does he plan to go with his life? What kind of a future does he have? You don't just take something because it has a zipper and it's a breathing. (laughs) You profile that sucker. That's where profiling is biblical. 
I want to be sure you can take me where my dreams are promising me to go. And there are a lot of unhappy people in marriages who attach to the wrong vehicle. There are people in the wrong churches. There are people in wrong relationships, and they'll never be what they could have been because they attach to the wrong vehicle. In the early days of our church, and I have some people here that were there, in our early days of our church, we used to lay everybody on the floor. We would call everybody forward for ministry. There'd be 32 prophecies, 14 tongues, and boy, we'd just put them on the floor and deck them, and we cast out, bound, and loosed, and I never saw anything change. So I said, okay, if you want, we'll do that in a home group, or we'll do it in a crusade, but we're not going to do it in church. It doesn't profit. It doesn't produce any kind of fruit. So if you think I'm not Pentecostal enough, you're nuts. What I saw was no growth. I'm spirit-filled and a prayer language, but my point was you have to be smart. And the only church Paul condemned was the Corinth church. The church in Corinth was out of control. They were so charismatic and Pentecostal, they were worthless. They were scaring everybody away. And he said, no, no, no. When we have our corporate church, we're going to have decency and order. That's a switch. Yeah. So if you want to know why I'm like I am, those are lessons I was learning growing up, watching. I thought, not seeing anything. I preached for a famous tele-evangelist healer 40 times in another state when he was in that state. And I noticed something, and I told Judy, my, my personal assistant, I said, Judy, the same people come forward, the same people fall down every time I go. I said, nothing's changing. This isn't helping anybody. Some of them have more floor time than the rug, but they don't change. They don't change. So for me, what is it? What's the point? Just a good show, but it doesn't change anything. Number, I've gotten way off track here. What am I going? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just saying, get attached. And then, and then, uh, Randy, Jim. Yeah, we know people who should be in this church who have an, who have wonderful gifts that could make us three times bigger, but they want to have pastor and parking sign under their name and 20 people or meet in a kitchen in order to be number one of nothing when they could be two, three, and four in something that would be significant. They could affect more people. They would have more benefit. They would have a wider impact uh, in the culture and generation. But because they're so obstinate, they want to stay on a tricycle and go nowhere. And they just waste the gift that they had out of this silly pride that I have to be the pastor. I'm the only guy that didn't want the job. I didn't want the job. (laughs) But if God chooses you, you're stuck with me. That's it. And he chooses. It's not who's the prettiest, the smartest, knows the most Greek, who's the most holy, who prays more, who operates more. It's who he chooses. And when he chooses, it's over. You disagree with him. Okay. I'd rather be number three or four in something significant than number one of nothing. Right? Come on, man. Let me know we're talking right. Number seven. Here's our last one. If we're going to serve our generation, we have to have a commitment to the harvest. Luke 5, verse 4. When Jesus stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep. Uh, I could stop right there and preach for an hour. Launch out. Some of you need to get out of the waiting pool. You, you, you got your little pink floaties on. I was a certified water safety instructor, a lifeguard, a member of the Neptune Raiders in New Jersey, a, a rescue squad that goes after cars that are submerged or get bodies out of cars uh, when I was in college in my early days. McGuire Air Force Base, I'll never forget it. 
And I thought, as a lifeguard in an Olympic pool, only one-fourth of the pool is the deep end. All the noise, all the laughing, all the screaming, all the bathing suits coming off, that's in the deep end. Because people are jumping, jumping off these high dives. That's all in the deep end. That's where all the action was. But back in the shallow end, we had signs. My God, we had signs. No swimming, no jumping, no dancing, no leaping, no, no what do you call it, playing, no running, no diving, no nothing. You're so safe, but all you can do is sit there with your floaties. <laughs> and that's where a lot of Christians are. They're in their floaties jallying. When are you going to serve? When are you going to try to teach a class? When are you going to write a check that, and tithe an income? When are you going to take a risk and, and do something bodacious, audacious, beyond, your, your, beyond safe? When are you going to risk losing your bathing suit down here, going off the high dive? Woo! Yeah. That's what Jesus said, launch out in the deep. That's where the action is. Let down your nets, plural, for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we toiled all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net, singular. Jesus said, let down your nets, plural. And Simon said, okay, we'll let down a net. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and the net was breaking. You know, I've thought about many churches and ministries would sink if God gave them all that He has prepared for them because they're not ready for it. They haven't prepared for it. And to break the net we have right now, we got to think bigger. If Jesus is talking about nets, every outreach we have, every home group, everyone is just a net out there to capture people. And if you want to serve your generation, you got to become a bigger thinker. you got to have nets ready. If God answers some people's prayers, it would literally sink them because the preparation is not there. So if we're going to serve our generation, we have to abandon small thinking, selfish thinking, petty thinking, and get our eyes off our own little world and start thinking about this generation and the one that's in nurseries around us coming up. This is our time, God says. This is our opportunity. And I pray God will make us ready. But you got to be thinking right. We got to know why we do what we do the way we do it. There's a reason for that. And your why has got to be so important. It'll keep you on track when a lot of things go awry and don't work out like you want. Okay? Thanks for joining us today. And may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.